0: Everyone, this is Alan Schimmel, DevOps.com here for another DevOps chat. Got a really hot chat today, and my guest to, uh, joining me is Chris, Christian Stewart of IBM's uh, Cloud Event Management team. Christian, well, Christian, welcome to DevOps Chat. Thanks very much for having me, Alan. And I just want to make sure I got it right. It is Christian Stewart, right? Uh, last I checked. Okay. Well, my sometimes my funny French accent throws people off, but. Um, <laughs> Anyway, and, and Christian, I, I mentioned you working with IBM in cloud event management, but give our audience a little bit, What you know, behind that, what, what exactly does that mean? Well, let me
1: give you a bit of a background because there, there's, some, there's some history here, in particular with respect to the topic of the podcast, which talks about operation tools. So I've been with IBM for 10 years. I'm one of the lead architects for a suite of IT service management tools. And my own specialization is in event management as part of um, IBM's Netcool brand, okay? So um, I've been in this industry for 18 years. I worked for a small startup back in the late 90s. The company was called Micromuse, and we were focused on introducing tools for disciplined fault management into telcos, into communication service providers during the dot-com boom of the late 90s. And then in the early noughties, We pivoted and successfully sold into enterprise, finance, retail, as their IT infrastructures became larger and more complex, and as they matured from an IT operations perspective. We were were acquired in in 2006, um, and we started to work towards applying interesting mathematical and analytical techniques for increasing the value provided by our tools and applying machine learning and problems to this space. So that was my background up until about three years ago. So what do I mean by cloud event management? Well, more recently is part of the movement of the industry that we serve as they move into cloud and their, their investment in cloud has increased. I've been working with teams to build software as a service offerings that enhance some of the capabilities we had uh, till that point only available on-premise. So it includes uh, alert notification tools, runbook automation tools, and cloud event management. Um, and, uh, you know, so our particular interest in DevOps is twofold, right? So that our transition itself from going to shrink ranked client service software that was originally deployed on prem has gone through to the development of cloud native, cloud scale, public cloud resident offerings. Um with our guys embracing paradigms like microservice architectures, 12 factor apps, and of course, um, DevOps. And one of the biggest challenges. Uh, or one of the biggest changes our teams have had to endure is that they now have to operate these deployments themselves, right? So they've gone from shrink-wrapped, give it to the client, now it's their problem, well, kind of, uh, through to now we're hosting this for you. Um, so we've had folks from development and QA transitioning to operations roles, um, and they require required to apply software engineering skills And work with app developers to ensure that we've got robust capabilities in private cloud. Um, And we're providing 24-7 ops to support these offerings. Um, But we find ourselves in a a fairly unique position um, because we're, we're running operations for as a service products that themselves are designed to help people responsible for running operations for their own apps and services. So it gives us a sort of a renewed empathy for our end users. um, especially as we start to angle our offerings towards teams that are embracing DevOps.
0: Does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, and then some. <laughs> but great, good stuff, Christian. Thank you very much. So, wanted to talk a little bit today and bring this back home to DevOps, right? Mm-hmm. And. One of the trends that we've been seeing over at DevOps.com recently is really around kind of putting the ops in DevOps, right? We've spoken now to a few uh, folks in the DevOps space from both the vendor and practitioner side who are really emphasizing, you know, the role that ops plays in DevOps. And, you know, one of my, my things about it, though, Christian, is, I, I get the opportunity to speak to a lot of people like yourself a lot of people who are heavily invested in DevOps but I also get a lot the chance to talk to a lot of people who aren't and who are new to DevOps or or just you know dipping a toe in the water and, and planning their DevOps migration and transformation and, and one of the things that I, I try to remind people is that don't leave your common sense at the door at the DevOps all right, bring it with you, number one. And while you're bringing something with you, it doesn't mean everything you've done in ops to this point and, and all the lessons learned and best practices accumulated get thrown out, you know, the baby with the bathwater. We, 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 with DevOps, we evolve. We're not necessarily revolutionizing. We're evolving. And so building on best practices and time-tested ops uh practices and methodologies and processes is is probably a better solution than you know scrapping the whole thing and starting from scratch. And who and who has the opportunity to do that anyway? What do you say to that, Christian?
1: Oh I agree completely. And you know amongst our clients, I and mean, we have got a whole array of clients from telcos to finance to retail, right? You name it. across, across those clients we have people on Uh, You know, uh, varying points on the curve of maturity with respect to um, to adopting DevOps. But you know, what I say to those clients as they look at those those paradigms is that the business objectives of operations teams haven't changed substantially. uh, Certainly since I've been in the business, there there's a lot that has changed, but the business objectives continue to be measured by KPIs like mean time to repair, mean time between failures. And pressure on costs, right? So disciplines. So within a within a um, let's say a, a, a mature enterprise that have invested heavily in ITIL, they they've got disciplines like event and incident management, um, and that leans on a key set of capabilities which are equally uh, applicable when you transition to um, DevOps. You know the, the proximity of your your developers to your operations and the, the 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 smoothing of the of the processes and the interactions between those organizations, if anything, are enhanced by some of the traditional methodologies and tools. So you know to list some of them, you need tools which can consume events from highly heterogeneous environments. You need to minimize the amount of management noise that's presented to the people who have to respond to events. Um, you need to be able to integrate with other systems. Uh, you need to be able to help pinpoint probable causes, drive efficiency in operations, um, do things like apply machine learning and advanced analytics to gain insight from your event and incident data. Um, so, you know, if you if you look at the the uh, the evolution of these practices historically, right? ITIL emerged. Uh, in parallel with with the practice of event incident management it didn't dictate it um you know these standards emerged as sorry event and incident management emerged as de facto practices given by the you know driven by the availability of practical tools to solve real problems and they still solve those problems um, you know if you if you look at the way that operations has evolved, Look at telco from the late 80s and early 90s, right? So in a telco network operations center back then, you might have had dozens of very highly skilled people, basically network engineers, with training on dozens of different management tools. And these guys and girls were expensive, right? I mean, their time cost a lot of money. And then the introduction of event and incident management tools helped transition from that to having perhaps the same number or even more operations staff, but a substantially lower skill. Um, so the, the first thing that event management and incident management did was, to, was to try and, you know, lower the cost of entry for running an efficient operations team. Um, but now if you look at, uh, the, the changes in IT management now, so I, I was chatting to a, a large enterprise just the other day and, you know, 10 years ago, they, uh, these guys have always been driven by those same metrics, MTTR, MTBF, cost, right? A few years ago, their job was to provision physical hardware, static middleware, and the management of that stuff from uh, operations perspective. Now these guys are having to provide platform-as-a-service tools, distributed runtime container, uh, uh, and orchestration systems, uh, and they still have responsibility for the Existing infrastructure, the network, the physical system, the storage, the, the legacy monolithic applications, and all of that still requires management. Um, so, mainly, they've got the challenge of managing hybrid cloud coupled with the extremely tight expectations on time to market that, that uh, working practices like DevOps and agile software development allow for. So, I'd say that event and incident management tools. Are as relative now, if not more, more so, than they ever were. Because when you shift to practices like DevOps and site reliability engineering, compared to the olden days where you have op centers, or even hundreds of journalists, you know, low skill operators, best practice is transitioning to one where you have substantially lower number, a, a substantially lower number of sub- substantially higher skilled operations staff. Right. So these guys and girls are highly skilled, but they're time poor. They, you know, you, your typical operations professional in a in an organisation that's embraced DevOps want to be concentrating on automation, on liaising with Dev early on in the in the release life cycle, on prepping for new rollouts. They don't want to be grepping through log files and sifting through performance metrics to find out what happened you know, just so they can restore a broken service. Um, and I think the eventual goal of the, the, the kind of tools that we provide, event and incident management, isn't just to help the operator find the needle in the haystack. I think it's the hand and the needle. Um, and that's useful, whether you're a low-skilled junior operator in old-school operations or a time-cooler, uh, hyper-technical um, site reliability engineer with 20 years' experience. Alan, are you still there?
0: Yes. Kristen, I'm sorry. I had a little uh, internet issue. Um, so all really good. But, you know, one of the things I wanted to touch on, Kristen, was the, 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 the uh, subject of empathy. As as part of kind of your DevOps mantra, right? We sometimes people give cultural things short shrift, but empathy is important in DevOps. And what I wanted to uh, ask about was the idea of how do we get developers right? For a long time, the ops people have sort of had to empathize with what developers are doing for doing and what they're doing. In terms of development to help in deployment and stuff as part of DevOps. But now putting that on the other foot, right? Getting developers to empathize with what the ops folks are dealing with as part of this DevOps equation. I mean, I've heard, <coughs> I've heard some, some organizations where they'll actually embed developers on the ops teams for short periods of time so that they, you know, they get empathy the hard way, if you will, right? Yeah. You got to live. Uh, what do you think about something like that?
1: I think, in terms of getting the development professionals involved, I think you, so. You mentioned role rotation, right? And I think, I, I think that I think that's one tactic. Um, you know, I, I like to think of this as much as as shift right dev as it as it is shift left ops, right? Yeah. So good. Good. Operate, so, and, and actually. You know, it, it reminds me of the situation in shrink-wrap software development maybe 20 or 25 years ago between development, who were the coders, and uh, QA, right? So there was a sort of a brick wall prior to um, prior to Agile software development where, you know, it was, it was throwing a pile of code over the wall. Um, you know, and, and I think Agile, with that shift left test, testing really helped to remedy that you know to the extent that i see today developers and uh, quality assurance engineers working really really closely together and not depending on you know reams and reams of documentation to to communicate with each other so i think with devops i think the similar thing is happening and i think you need shift right dev as well as shift left ops so Operating an application uh, or, a, or a service, I think, has to be a shared responsibility, and I do think that dev need to get skin in the game. Um, so that's going to include dev as an es- as an escalation point when an incident occurs. It can also include um, role rotation, uh, but but for mutual benefit, I think they both need to use the same operations tools, right, so that they they see mm. what each other. What each other are doing uh, when an incident or a, or, a, or a critical event occurs in the environment, and then they they're motivated to improve the use of those tools for themselves as well as for the for the sake of operations. Um, I think you know a three a.m. incident notification, you know, like a page at three a.m. is a great motivator. So for ops people, it's an incentive to get runbooks. And automatic incident response is written so that service restoration is as quick as possible and, and preferably preferably automatic. For Dev, it's an incentive to make their services or, or applications operable, right? So they need to get the right amount of instrumentation into the app so that uh, Ops can manage an incident, or better still, that some script can, so that neither of them get the three a.m. escalation. So I think I think there's a, there's a um, with all due respect to my dev and ops colleagues, there, there, there's a carrot and stick approach
0: there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes, makes perfect sense, Christian. I want you to, Christian. I want you to repeat what you said before. We need to shift ops left and shift devs right. Or did I have that backwards? Yeah,
1: no. Yeah, that's what I said. It's, 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 it's shift right Dev and shift left Ops, right? Got it. So. so- Get 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 them to have um, a degree of overlap with respect to their responsibilities, and of course, what what they do in response to those responsibilities can be quite different. You know, uh, let me see if I can think of an example. So, um, for devs under those circumstances, when when they've been involved in responding to an incident, it can be as stuff as simple as being really clear in their application logs. So if you if you think about events that are generated by uh, say, a container-based app deployed on Kubernetes, okay? So the the event and incident management system is going to be presented with logs from the app code. They're going to be uh, presented with logs from middleware, logs from Kubernetes itself, logs from potentially external technologies and monoliths, you know, NFS mounts, databases, legacy apps, network. Um, And they may also be getting alerts from monitoring systems that are watching performance metrics for uh, the running container. So um, transaction request rate between microservices, CPU CPU utilization, Mm. um, robotically determined response time. So if if devs can make sure that something as simple as the concept of uh, um, criticality or severity is included in the logs, that really helps with filtering when ops figure out whether or not something's really a problem, you know, for example, is this event classed as a trace message, a debug message, a warning, an error? Do it, is it known that this is service affecting? Right? Yeah. Um, and, and 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 you know, how how better to um, to motivate devs into to implement those sorts of practices than to make them consume. Uh, log messages that are completely uninterpretable, right? Uh,
0: agreed, agreed. Hey, Christian, Christian, we are, we're over time already. But I, as I told you before we started, the time here goes quickly. But, you know, I, I one boiling all of this down, the last whatever, 18 minutes down, really I want to make, the, you know, the point of, and I, I loved what you said about you know, op shift left, dev shift right, that our ops and devs can work together. And as you said, they each will have different reactions with different roles and, and responses to given incidents or given, you know, stimuli. But they they can work together and we can't yeah. build on what ops has built over the last 50 years of the IT industry. And mm-hmm. right. We don't we don't leave that at the door of DevOps. It, it, it's part of it. And it, so okay. the one thing I want, you know, if if we can ask people to take that with them, you agree that that's a key takeaways here for them. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Fantastic. Hey, Christian Stewart, uh, IBM. Thank you for joining us on this episode of DevOps Chat. Uh, love to hear more in the future about what you and and the IBM team are doing around cloud and hybrid and some of the other stuff kicking around and uh, we'll have you back again soon but for now thanks for thanks for being our guest this episode Alan it was an absolute pleasure Uh, great hey this is Alan Schimmel everyone for DevOps.com DevOps chat thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon on the next chat